Let's turn in God's Word to the book of Acts, the 20th chapter. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32. I'm going to assume that you know the context. We just concluded a series on the book of Acts not long ago and read through this chapter, but I'm going to emphasize certain verses in this chapter. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 28 through verse 32. Now let's bow in prayer before reading. Our Father, this is your word, and we ask that the word of the Lord will go forth into our hearts and consciences with the Holy Spirit's power. We pray that because this is your word and you have promised that it will not return unto you void, but will accomplish the purpose to which you send it, that you will be working in the hearts and lives of many a person, indeed all of your people this night, that we may be drawn more deeply into the truths of the gospel and live them out fully and faithfully. And we ask, Father, again, your blessing especially upon Freddie Langford as he serves your church in this way in which he is called as an elder of this flock. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 28. This is the word of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Tonight we preach on the anatomy of an elder. The surgery will not take long, but I want to show to this congregation what an elder looks like. I want to excite the teaching and ruling elders who are here tonight to a renewed commitment and passion to this essential work of shepherding the flock purchased with Christ's own blood. I want to be used of the Lord to stir this flock, the people of this congregation, to pray for and support your leaders in this most important role. Paul, ending his third missionary journey, returning to Jerusalem, meets the elders of Ephesus, not in Ephesus, but he meets them in Miletus. There had been a riot when Paul last was in Ephesus as he preached the gospel There were those who didn't like his preaching of the gospel, and they rioted. And the Apostle Paul meets in Miletus possibly in part because of that, but particularly because we are told in the prior chapter that he's on a schedule and that he wants to reach Jerusalem with the offerings of the churches, if possible, before Pentecost. Now, I think that it's an amazing thing that when the Apostle Paul meets with these elders, church government is so important That in a crisis time and place, Paul must give this government attention. Our views are quite the opposite of Paul's most of the time. We have in American Christianity and in many 
Christians' lives a very low view of the place of the government of the church. Uh, We don't think about the government of the church much when we think about Christian growth and when we think about what the church is all about, but that is not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament gives a very, very high place and high priority to the government of the church. The Apostle Paul, as he meets with these elders, speaks of his own ministry. What an example of faithfulness that ministry was. Day and night, in homes and in public, with tears, he proclaimed the whole counsel of God. And then he turns his attention to these elders, and he speaks to them from his heart. And now let's listen in. What does Paul say as he sees those elders for the last time? He will never see them again. The first thing that we see as we look at Acts 20, 28 through 32 is the call of an elder. The call of an elder. He is called to what? Well, verse 28 tells us, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, it is translated in the ESV to care for. The word poimanein is used here, which means to shepherd. He is to shepherd the flock that is purchased with his own blood. A high calling indeed, ruling elders, teaching elders, to shepherd the flock of God purchased with his own blood. Christ, the good shepherd of his sheep, is the model. In John chapter 10, he tells us that the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And if we are to be modeled by him, then we must give our lives for our sheep. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 5, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then farther on down it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Always it is with looking to this great chief shepherd that the elders are to shepherd the flock. Christ holds all of the offices of the church in perfection. Yes, he's prophet, priest, and king, but he also is teaching elder, ruling elder, and deacon. All that we find in these offices is found first and foremost in perfection in Christ, the head and king of the church. And so to what is the, is the elder called? He is called to shepherd the flock of God purchased with his own blood. Called by whom? Well, verse 28 answers that question. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who appoints the ruling elder, the teaching elder, the officer in Christ's church? It is the Holy Spirit who appoints the officers of Christ's church. Only the Holy Spirit can gift, appoint, call, and anoint an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you elders this question. Are you tempted to forget that? Do you remember the call that is placed upon you by the Holy Spirit? And do you remember to call upon the Holy Spirit who has called you to your office? Do you sometimes serve in your own strength? Is sometimes your service joyless because it is spiritless? Powerless because you do not call upon the power of the Holy Spirit who has called you to your office? Well, the scriptures say, will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
If that is true of you in any sense, then call upon the one who has called you to your office, the Holy Spirit, and rely upon him in all that you do in shepherding the flock purchased with his own blood. Let me say also, do not intrude into an office into which you have not been called by the Holy Spirit. You know, in many a church, people are appointed as elders or as deacons or as officers because they're well-known, because they're popular, or because they are uh, gifted businessmen who have shown that they know how to lead in various ways. None of that, none of that are the reasons given in the New Testament for the call of an elder in Christ church. The, the officers in Christ church are to be known for godliness. They are men filled with the Holy Spirit and who love the truth of God and can lead out of that fullness. When called, continue then to seek the power of the Holy Spirit who called you. Kindle the flame within your heart. Seek him in personal communion with God. The good shepherd of the church has given to us his own example. And the good of the church of this good shepherd depends upon elders who call upon the Holy Spirit in their ministries. There was a minister in Northern Ireland who was called to a church. And when he was called to that church, there were 60 people. It's a very, very large and well-known uh, church that preaches the gospel there now. But when he was called, there were 60 people. The people didn't like his preaching. And uh, the congregation went from 60 to 20 when he first arrived. Uh, one day, he said he was a young man, so maybe he didn't know better. He had the steward open all the windows and the doors. <clears throat> he said, all right, we used to have a treasurer, he's gone. We had a choir director, he's gone. We had leaders, they're gone, most of them. Now the windows are open, the doors are open. If you want to leave, now's the time. Thankfully, no one left. So from that core group of 20 people, do you know what they began to do? They called on the Holy Spirit. They didn't despair. They began to pray. They got upon their knees. The elders actually had a prayer meeting that went from a Friday night until the Sunday when the minister preached. Can you imagine that? They went down all the rows in the church building, all those empty pews, and they prayed over every seat. God, bring people to fill these seats. Bring lost sinners that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they prayed that the most notorious sinner in the neighborhood would be saved. He came into the church one night and wasn't saved. He came into the church another night and wasn't saved. He came into the church the next night and he was gloriously saved. And after him, many of his buddies and friends who had also lived a life of dissipation were saved by sovereign free grace. Why? Because these elders, teaching and ruling, went on their knees. God has called us. He has ordained us. He has called this church into being. And we're going to depend upon the Holy Spirit for our growth, and to use us as God has called us. Men, that's the call of the elder, to have that sort of attitude, leading the people of God on your knees with dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And so we first of all see the call of the elder. Second thing we see in the text is the character of the elder. Now, under this head, the character of the elder, we first of all see that the elder has a twofold care, a twofold care, a personal care and a congregational care. Look again at verse 28, out of which so much of this comes. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves. Do you see the care? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. First of all, there is personal care. If you would conduct a living ministry, you cannot speak to others by hearsay, but you must speak out of the fullness of your own personal knowledge of Jesus and your own personal communion with God. Walk with care, be done with self-love, daily believe, repent from sin, do not be indifferent to the salvation of your own souls, elders. It is sometimes said the man is weak in the pulpit because he is weak in the closet. But also it can be truly said that a ruling elder may be weak in his shepherding because he is weak in the closet, because he doesn't spend time with his personal care and his personal walk before God. Let that not be true of the elders of this church. Personal care, but also congregational care, according to verse 28, that flows out of this personal carefulness, communion, and holy walk with God. Do not play at it, but be serious about it. Do you ever sweat in prayer, I wonder? People sweat when they play tennis and sweat when they play ball. I'm glad you do. I hope you're very healthy. But do you ever sweat in prayer, ruling elder? you ever get up on your knees and just pour out your heart because of the grief you feel about needs in your shepherding group or elation at victories that Christ brings? Do you pray in that way? Your Savior sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane to save us. We should sweat We should care. We should be earnest men in the calling that God has given to us as elders in the church. So the character of the elder is first of all characterized by a twofold care, personal and of the flock. But also the character of the elder is characterized by watchfulness. Look again at verse 28 to begin with. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And then he says, you are to be watchful against ravenous wolves from the outside. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You are to be watchful against ravenous wolves who would come in from the outside and who would destroy the doctrine and the morals of the church of Jesus Christ. But not only that, You are to be watchful against apostasy within. So we read in verse 30, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted thing to draw away the disciples after them. You men who are called to be shepherds of the flock are to watch not only without, but are to watch for apostasy within. This did happen in Ephesus, by the way. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus. You know that Timothy became the great pastor at Ephesus. Just read the pastoral epistles and you can see the battles that Pastor Timothy had to fight against apostasy from within. Hymenaeus and Philetus and others who are mentioned in the pastoral epistles and the battle from within. Read John's writings about the churches in Revelation and how apostasy filled many a church in Asia Minor. Well, the early church opposed Arianism and denials of the deity of Christ. The reformers opposed Pelagianism and denials of sovereign grace. And things are no different today. The PCA elders 
must guard against the federal vision. Uh, They must be watchful against those who deny the historicity of Adam. Uh, They must be careful about the doctrine of the law of God so that antinomianism and legalism are both opposed. In other words, you will recognize where your flock will wander as you watch the church at large. And then, the elder is characterized, according to the text, by alertness. Alertness. Verse 31, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Alertness. The term that the apostle used, gregarata, literally means keep awake. Keep awake. Don't close your eyes. Don't sleep on the job. You must have a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. And the Apostle Paul says, follow my example of tearful, constant concern for my converts. You elders should form a ring around this congregation, looking it out without, and a ring around this congregation, looking within. You say, well, how do you do that? I don't know. My dad and mom did it. My dad could watch without, and he could see what I did wrong in the back of his head. I don't know how he did it. He could see. He could see. He had eyes in the back of his head. Well, the elder is to have such tender care and solicitude over the congregation that he can watch in both directions. He had eyes in the back of his head. Sleepless vigilance. Sleepless vigilance. Join in your teaching elders ministry by support. What do I mean by that? Well, keep your finger here and turn to 2 Timothy. And look at the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here in 2 Timothy 4, here is the charge that is given to the preacher, to the teacher in the church. 2 Timothy 4, the first five verses. I charge you, says Paul to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That's the call of the teaching elder that cannot effectively be done without ruling elders who also are careful and watchful of the flock of God under their care. Again, turn to the 10th chapter of John. Let's see what the good shepherd of the sheep says that will inform the shepherds of our flock, the ruling elders and the teaching elders. In John 10, beginning in verse 12, after Jesus has said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received of my Father. That's the pattern for the teaching and ruling elder. Shepherding the flock, just as Jesus did, not as a hireling, but out of love for the people he came to save. You know, pulpits pulpits in America are filled with perjurers. They really are. Men who, for example, in Presbyterian circles, have sworn to uphold the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechisms, and could care less about it. Uh, Men in some circles that even have have taken that confession upon their lips and yet have even denied the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Let me say to you ruling elders, as presbyters, you will affect generations to come. Generations in your own congregation, and as you are a part of a presbytery and part of a general assembly, you may have the opportunity, the potential of affecting millions of people if Jesus tarries. Think of the ill-informed ruling elders that voted against J. Gresham Machen and what that led to. I'm telling you, men, this is a solemn duty, a solemn call to know the scriptures, to know the truth, to understand the theology of the church, to be godly and careful in your walk. I'm telling you, men, the pattern is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep Because as a presbyter, you will have the opportunity of affecting generations yet to come. Now let's move to the third thing we see, which is the confidence of the elder. And we find it in verse 32, as the Apostle Paul says to these elders, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Yes, the call is great, it is solemn, and it is serious, but you teaching and ruling elders are not left to yourselves. You have a confidence in the commendation that the Apostle Paul brings, commending you to God, all of his resources, all that he is, all of his character, all of his attributes are behind your ministry. The word of his grace that changes you and can change others in the hand of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the inheritance to come to which you will look as you shepherd the flock of God purchased with his own blood. You know, the elder helps the flock to look to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he promotes holiness. The elder is used to help change lives. Do you believe, ruling elder, teaching elder, do you believe that the Word of God changes people's lives? Do you believe that? I said in Vespers recently, I was telling them about the great revival in Northern Ireland in the early part of the 20th century in which the Presbyterian evangelist W.P. Nicholson preached. These were the the men to whom he preached, were the men that would go to the shipyards in Belfast. They would come and go to work and he would preach the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit came down in great power And so many of those men were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ that they actually had to build a new warehouse to store 
all of the tools that these converted men returned that they had stolen from their jobs over the years. Yes, the gospel changes people. The gospel changes lives. And as you ruling elders minister out of the confidence of God, the word of His grace, and the promise of His inheritance, you also will see over time lives changed and transformed. This confidence enables the elder to be militant and to help the church have vital impact, to declare war on the enemy. Don't you want to see such a church that declares war on the enemy, elders? Don't you want to be a church in which souls are saved and souls grow in grace? I want to be the kind of church in which sinners are really afraid to come because they're afraid if they come in, they'll be converted. But they come anyway because they're mysteriously drawn. One of Whitfield's chapels was called a soul trap. I like that. That's what I want to be. Ruling elders, do you serve in that kind of confidence? That you, you really believe that the Holy Spirit can do that among the people that you serve? Do you believe the Holy Spirit can change people? Is He changing you? Is the Holy Spirit transforming your life? You can only lead people where you yourself have been. Well, we've seen the call, the character, and the confidence of the elder. But there's one other thing I want us to see that to me is just absolutely glorious. And that is the commitment of the elder. The commitment of the elder. The elder's commitment is to shepherd out of esteem for the power of the blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Now this reference to the blood of Jesus in this passage is no tangential throwaway comment. This is right at the core of what it means to be an elder. This is right at the core of what it means to be a teacher or a ruler in the church. It is definitive of the ruling elder and teaching elder's call. The blood of Jesus defines ministry for us. And about the blood, this text indicates that the elder knows three things. You know three things, elder, about the blood of Christ. First of all, you know that the blood of Jesus is valuable. Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. The church is purchased by blood, infinitely valuable blood. And this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus' blood is specifically called the blood of God. You see it here, don't you? Care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. What's the antecedent of the pronoun his? God. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is God become man. And therefore, when he shed his blood, it was infinitely valuable. It can save the worst sinner. It can remove the greatest stain. The second thing, then, that the ruling elder knows about the blood that informs his ministry is that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. 
if indeed it is the blood of the God-man Jesus Christ, infinitely valuable because shed by Him, then certainly you know it is sufficient for the needs of the sheep under your charge purchased by Jesus. The complete finished work of Christ is sufficient. And the ongoing power and value of the blood to forgive and to pardon and to cleanse, the ruling elder will direct this to his own heart, and he will direct this to the hearts of the people that he shepherds. You will constantly, if you are a faithful man, you will constantly be saying to your shepherding group, to that needy person in this church, to that fallen sinner, you will be saying to him, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It will constantly be upon your lips. My little children, I write these things to you that you not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. His blood is sufficient. And so, elder, you know that the blood is valuable. You know that the blood is sufficient. But there's something else you know about the blood. You know that the blood of Jesus is triumphant. The text speaks of particularity, of his obtaining his church, of purchasing his people. Now, there are, of course, those who hold to some universal sort of redemption. You ask, did Jesus actually save anybody when he shed his blood? Well, no. Did he actually secure a people when he shed his blood, and they will say, well, no. Did he really, when he died, did he really reconcile anyone to God? Well, they will say, well, no. They just sort of made it possible if a man by free will wants to accept it. And so they teach us that a Judas in hell and a blood-bought saint are actually, actually in the same position as far as the blood of Jesus is concerned. So you ask them, did he secure salvation by anyone, for anyone by his blood? And they say, no, 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 no. Well, Christ, according to Scripture, actually redeems his people. He has redeemed a people from every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation on earth, we are told in the book of Revelation. And so you keep your ineffective atonement, atonement and I will keep mine that really saves me from my sin. And I hope, ruling elder, that you will keep it as well. This triumphant atonement that you will bring to the people of God. Now, the elder sees his people. And when he sees his people, he sees his people as blood-bought. He sees them as people for whom Christ shed his blood. And the son said in eternity past, My father, I covenant and promise to die for your elect people. Them I will immutably save. Them I will immutably redeem them I will immutably keep. And oh, can you conceive of it, people of God, that in eternity past, God thought of you, that in eternity past, He enrolled you in the bloody role of election and promised redemption through Christ's own blood. God's people are safe only through the blood of Christ. God's people are cleansed only through the blood of Christ. God's people are joyful only through the blood of Christ. God's people are shepherded by the eldership of the church only through the blood of Christ. Don't go to your people with moralism. Don't go to them and just say, do better. 
go to them and say, the power is in the blood and the Holy Spirit's application of the blood to your heart and to your life. God does not have to squint to find His blood bought once. He knows His own. He purchased them. And they are precious to Christ. So, elder, they must be precious to you. And to me, they must be precious to us. And when we say to our people, gaze on the cross, gaze on the broken body, dripping blood from his hands and feet that purchased you, find your salvation in him, people. Find your salvation in his blood. Let this be your joy. Let this be the fuel of the hatred of sin in your life. Let this be the fuel of your growth in grace. And so, ruling elders, you know this about the blood. You will see many things as an elder, Freddie, that will be disappointing to you. The elders of this church often have wept on their knees over those who have professed faith in Christ and who have walked away who have not been what they profess themselves to be. These are heartbreaking things, but I urge you not to focus there. It's true that you will face it, but do not focus there. Where should you focus? Focus on Christ, and then focus on his blood-bought people. You are a shepherd under the great shepherd of the sheep, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant purchased his own. Your people will be failing, faltering, struggling people, but they are bought with the blood. They belong to Jesus. They belong to the one who purchased them. What will drive the elder on as he serves the flock with all of its inconsistencies and failings and sins? They are purchased by Jesus' blood. That drives the elder on. And men, if this does not call us to repentance, if this will not call us to faithfulness, then what will? Teaching elder, ruling elder, minister out of esteem for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Love your people, care for your people, because they are purchased with Jesus' own shed blood. There's a book written I've never read but want to. I know about it because you read references to it from time to time in the Puritan writings and other places. It was written by a man whose name was Vincent, and it was called God's Terrible Voice in the City. This was during the mid-1600s in London when there was the great plague and there was the great fire. You remember that from your history? And in the time of the great plague, now in 1662, there was the great ejection Over 200 faithful, faithful Puritan ministers were ejected from their pulpits and pounded and persecuted. But now comes the plague in London. What happens? The hirelings leave their flocks. These hounded, persecuted Puritan ministers, they're the ones that come into the city. And they fill the pulpits. And as... As graves are being dug outside the windows, the churches fill with people who know they are facing eternity, and these great Puritan ministers preach the gospel. I've heard it said that there were so many people crowding the churches, the minister had to climb over the pews and people in order to get in the pulpit to preach because they knew they were facing eternity. Let me ask you, ruling elder, 
Should it ever be different? Aren't we always facing eternity? Aren't we always with our people facing those who profess faith that might not truly believe or those who do believe who need to be spurred on or those who have yet to profess faith in Christ in our midst? Should it ever be different? Should we not always be with those Puritan ministers, not the hirelings that left, but like those Puritan ministers that get deep down and involved in the lives of people and care about them, ministering out of the fullness of the atoning work of Jesus and calling them to faith in Christ. And, O sinner, here tonight, because even on a Sunday night gathering such as this, there may be those among us who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And people of God, on mornings and evenings, you should be asking them because they will hear about Jesus and His gospel preached from this pulpit. Let me say to you, unbelieving friend, Lost, undone, unclean, you also need the blood of Christ. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to be washed from your stain. You need your guilt removed. You need the power of the blood of Christ at work in your heart and at work in your life. Be done with all works of your own. Be done with it and come to Jesus. The old hymn writer put it this way, To the blessed fountain of thy blood, incarnate God I fly. Here let me wash my spotted soul from sins of crimson dye. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Only Jesus can do poor sinners good. Amen.